Just a warning, this episode contains discussions of disordered eating, body image and mental health, especially around the difficulty of working through childhood trauma and motherhood. If this brings up anything for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or talk to someone you trust. The Islamic poet Rumi once wrote, You suppose you are the trouble, but you are the cure. You suppose that you are the lock on the door, but you are the key that opens it. It's too bad that you want to be someone else. You don't see your own face, your own beauty, yet no face is more beautiful than yours. Hello, I'm Tonts. Welcome to my podcast. This is a show about feeling all of it. Let me tell you a story. Something unexpected happened to me a few years ago. I went running in the middle of the night and fell on my face. Now, my smile was historically for me the thing that I've always led with. It's massive. People often commented on my smile and in a way my big broad grin was my armour, my way of facing the world head on, of making people feel comfortable and showing joy. And then suddenly it wasn't. I lost three of my front teeth and for over a year I had dental surgery after dental surgery to put my teeth back together. This meant having three blackened front teeth, then wearing dentures and for a while having a really visible hole in my gums. I remember I did a radio interview at the ABC, the only one I've ever done, with teeth braces on and scratches all over my face from the fall. I walked into rooms to do interviews with people I'd never met, thinking, yep, here we go. They can see my broken teeth and my gums, and I've just got to get on with it anyway. I discovered something through that process, though, that what makes me clear, what makes me valuable to the world and to myself is so much more than my smile, and that we do ourselves a deep disservice if we think that if we don't look a certain way, we don't deserve to be in the room or have our voice heard. In fact, what I learned was that yes, you can be treated differently because of your appearance in whatever shape or form that takes. But ultimately, what changes the game, ups the ante, is the relationship you have with yourself. And this strength can carry you through, carry you much further than whether or not you have the perfect highlights or the right makeup. What I think does make the difference is that taking pride in our appearance and carefully selecting clothes and colours that suit us, makeup that flatters us or getting our hair cut, are part of self-care if we do them from a place of love for ourselves and our bodies. My dad once told me that taking pride in your appearance is also about showing respect to the people you are meeting with and that has stuck with me too. So while I push back really hard at the idea that we should all fit into some cookie-cutter ideal of beauty, of a particular size or body shape, the idea that we care and nurture our bodies and look after our faces, our hair, even our nails, is one that I can get on board with because we are all worthy of love and so are our bodies if we let them shine in their own uniqueness rather than trying to make them conform to one idealised version of what beauty means. So when Rumi wrote, no face is more beautiful than yours, what I think he is writing is a reminder that your face to you should be the most beautiful because it is yours to have for the whole of your life. It's the only one you get. It allows you to see the world, to kiss the ones you love, to laugh, to express yourself, to eat, to smell, to feel the wind on your face and caring for it for all of you externally as well as internally is vital. 
The other side of this coin is that makeup and hair and all the beauty things can be fun and playful and joyful and a part of expressing who you are. But this is what I struggle with too. It's really hard to know where the tipping point is, where the time to tap out and step back is, whether you're doing something for you or whether it's for other people's expectations. And this is where I think it gets tricky. I think especially for women, but for everybody. So I decided to talk to a friend of mine, Hilary Holmes. Hilary is a makeup artist and runs her own business, catering to everyday humans as well as models and celebrities. She's also a mum to two beautiful kids and has lived many lives. From growing up in a really difficult, unstable home to being bullied at school for overeating and the stomach banding that changed her life, to studying science and finally finding a voice in the beauty industry, Hilary is someone who it is clear is seeking to love herself and those around her the very best she can. We recorded this amongst her bright white makeup studio in South Melbourne full of beauty counters, brushes and glamorous couches. It was a freezing day in Melbourne, so you'll hear the heater on in the background and some cars whizzing past. On each mirror lining the walls is a small sticker that says, you are worthy. A reminder to her clients, but I also think a reminder to herself that she is just as worthy of love and nurturing and care. We all have a story. Here's Hillary's. What do you think about body image? Like where oh, are you at with all of look, that? Look, it's a, oh my gosh, it's a complicated story for me because I was 103 kilos at 16 years old and I got up to 135 kilos and without I mean, I, I have done every diet under the sun, like every... And I started when I was... I remember started dieting when I was 10 because I'm from a family of really big people. I eventually got weight loss surgery uh, five years ago, actually almost to the, the month, and I lost 50 kilos. But that aside, you know, I think, you know what, when you become a mum and when you give birth, I think there's becomes this level of appreciation to your body that mm. you just kind of... Someone said to me, oh, you've lost... Yesterday I was at daycare and one of the girls said, oh, you've lost weight. I'm like, have I? I'm like, I love working out and I, I, even when I was really overweight, like I used to play state netball up in Queensland and I've always loved exercise. So even when I was really overweight, it wasn't that I was unhealthy in the way that I ate. It was more like I just, it was my emotional tool to help me through some really tough mental periods. So I loved exercise, always have. And my relationship with my body has always been a very complex one. But I think since having children, it's been really liberating that I have just it's funny, I put up on my social media how when I gave birth to Adelaide, oh, sorry, to Obi recently, he's seven months old. So you've got Obi and Adelaide. Adelaide's three yesterday. Adel- yeah. And Obi is seven months. Because you put up that incredible post of you. Was that at Adelaide's birth? That was Adelaide's birth, yeah. Yeah. I'm really lucky that I had a really great birth support and she took some amazing photos. And I would have been, I'm totally fine to show you all the the guts and there was a couple more bloodier shots that I probably just was like oh, maybe no, but it was so powerful actually I thought it was so powerful and beautiful because I think that the thing about food and body image mm. is that I think as women we're so critical of our bodies and we need them to look a certain way and there's that balance of health versus how we look where do you sit on that spectrum are you like the stomach banding and all the things was that about health for you that or was, about image? That was, no, fuck image. Honestly, I'm a makeup artist and I couldn't tell you more 
I'm really opposed about this comparison culture that we're in and about women being told by society and by, you know, everything that we should be a certain way. I'm very much about being authentic. The reason why I got weight loss surgery was at that time I was doing a lot of work on my mental health. I had done a couple of years of chakra. I did some chakra courses and I was really in tune with my spirituality. The weight loss surgery was simply allowing me to become more authentic in who I was and not being dictated by my weight anymore. So I took, I had the weight loss surgery and don't get me wrong, it's been a very complicated surgery. I've had lots of complications and eventually I will need my stomach removed due to some complications from it. But since the surgery and since having kids, I have a level of appreciation to my body and and its resilience and its strength. I've had so much going on physically with my body and it's done such amazing stuff that I think when I gave birth, I'm like, I I can't hate a body that it might, it's got cellulite. My boobs look like socks with marbles in them and actually don't care. I really don't care about if someone else thinks they're attractive. Mm. My biggest person that I want to impress and that I dress for and that I put my makeup on for and I want to look sexy for and feel good for is me. That's all. And that's all been derived from my journey with my body and taking away that idea of having to please anyone else that as long as I'm really confident in who I am, that's the most attractive quality in anyone, I think. Mm, that's so true. What's your, where did your journey kind of start? I know that you've talked about as a kid, struggling with your weight and mm. being bullied at yeah. school. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that story? Uh, I Bullying is a tough one for me because I was bullied from a very, very young age. So I remember getting bullied starting around grade two for being overweight. I got called thunder thighs and not even actually at school. I'm one of six children and I was the second last one. And I, they, my siblings, like very quick-witted. And you know what siblings are like. They can be totally brutal. You know, kids are really clever you know, they're really smart. Like I got bullied in grade two, my house burnt down and it was across the road from the school in the primary school. And so the whole school watched my house burn down and I'm Hillary Holmes and they called me Hillary Homeless for the next two years. (laughs) I mean, that is actually really clever. That's what I mean. Like I can't, looking back on it, brilliant. If I had a child that was bullying and that said that, I'm like, right, First of all, we're stamping that out. But second, if you're smart enough to think of that, think of, be smart enough to think of something like that's nice and kind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's great alliteration, really, even. Yeah, crazy. And so my bullying was in high school at home, but then it, it went into high school probably from a di- couple of different reasons. Um, but then actually, I actually moved university campuses um, when I was studying Bachelor of Science at Melbourne Uni. I moved from Parkville up to the country because I got bullied really, really badly by a few of the boys that spread some really bad rumours about me. <laughs> and so I didn't know what to do. I was just like, you know, in a matter of days, my reputation got completely destroyed. So I moved to the country and had to escape it. So bullying has been, it's everywhere. It's not just in children. It's not just in adults. It's everywhere. Like, you know, I can tell you a number of stories now of bullying that's existing in, in our parliament house, for instance, in our, in, in our broader culture in workplaces. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think part of it can, could be around being an outspoken person? Were you an outspoken kid? Yes, apparently I, um, I was assertive from the get-go. It's almost like the more people tell me to be quiet, the louder I get. I just get, I'm a really stubborn person. I'm, I'm a Taurus through and through. Mm. Yes, people, I'm, you either love me or hate me, and that's been a really hard thing for me to grasp. I only come forward with the most loving and, you know, well... Meaning intentions. Yeah, yeah. and 
Unfortunately, I'm a triggerer. Um, I definitely trigger people just in my confrontational way of speaking. And, and I, again, I don't do that deliberately. It's just how I talk. And, and a lot of the way that I present myself, definitely you either love or you hate me, which has been a really hard part. I really don't like that. And it makes it really hard for me to feel accepted. Um, but the more I get older and the more I learn about myself, the more I'm like, and I think as we all do, you get to a point, don't you, when you're sort of like, if I focus on the people who don't like me, I'm never going to be able to do the good things in this world. So mm. I've got to just change that and stop focusing on them because clearly they're triggered about something and that's their shit. But for me, in order for me to be that good person and do the things that I want to do and impact people positively, I've got to focus on the people who can support me and want the best for me. And, yeah. and that's probably most importantly me. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's the relationship you have with yourself in the Absolutely. end that is the obviously the one you're going to be for you the whole a whole of your life, whatever happens. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. What do you do in your life to build that relationship with yourself? Oh, it is. It's it's a work in progress. You know, when your whole life and um, childhood was telling you that you weren't good enough to rewrite that narrative and to discover parts of yourself to note that you're you would have seen if you walked through the salon that on all the mirrors I have worthy yeah yeah and it's funny I have that on the mirrors but it's it's something that I'm still I'm, I'm still struggling with to this day I think it's something that you know I've got to rewrite everything that I was told when I was younger and I'm you know I was saying to my psychologist the other day oh my god I'm spending my entire life literally undoing the damage of my childhood which is so annoying because can you imagine? <laughs> How amazing you would be if you didn't oh, have to deal with all of that shit first. Totally. And that's yeah. why I got really emotional around Adelaide's birthday. We had a really beautiful day yesterday and I just I started bawling my eyes out to Ben and he's like, what? I'm like, I think for the first time in three years since she's been born, I recognise the power that I have, that this girl will have the most supported, you know, I think the generation that we were come, we came from were damaged goods and so we were suppressed and not allowed to really flourish in our own uniqueness and authenticness. And so now we know that I'm going to give that to my daughter and allow her to be whoever she wants to be, blue, black, you know, you know, loud, quiet, whatever she wants to be, she can be. And I got really emotional when it was Adelaide's birthday because I got to see how she's just starting to flourish under no restraints. And yeah. it's powerful, I think. That's a really powerful part of being a mum. Totally. How are you doing it differently to how you were raised? <laughs> totally the opposite. I didn't have a mum. My mum was very much um, inconsistent in our lives. Uh, she lost custody of us when I was five or six. And we saw her randomly like every second weekend for a few years. And then it got a bit dangerous and abusive. So we kind of lost contact with her when I was in my teens. So I didn't have a mum growing up and um, and when she was there in the early stages, it was it was really detrimental towards my growth and who I was. And um, so I think having a mum that's present and loving, I think there's so much power in just like I love rubbing my daughter's back and just giving her that physical nurturing and, you know, I don't remember being kissed or hugged and being told, I, you know, I love you. So for me, being able to be that mum to my daughter, I just, it's... It's powerful. It's, You're like it's lighting up inside when you think about it. Yeah, and it's only see. been sort of in the past. Don't get me wrong. I having a baby and being a mum. What the hell? It's so messed up. It's really hard. It's not, so hard. No one. What is? You know, we we're saying this before. Like, what is it? Our society has not allowed women to really understand the complexities of being a mum and how hard it is. Because you know, we're we're in this really interesting crossroad in our 
you know, development in that where we're giving women so much voice and a platform. Well, women are giving women the platform to speak Mm. and wanting to be independent and strong, but then, like, there's so much suppression on that. So, anyway, I find being a mum really challenging and I'm not naturally a good... I don't think it's naturally in my bones to be like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mum and... And I just adore my children. Oh, okay, cool. You're going to be up all night. That's okay. Yeah. I am not that mum. I'm the, oh, my God. This is hard. Get me out. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, cause, but isn't it about the messaging that we're told about what it means to be a woman? And I feel like once you become a mother, there's an underlying kind of quiet narrative there that you should be quiet and selfless and loving and kind of vanish into this role and you can't still be the Hillary that has a runs her own business and is outspoken and, you know, has a lot to give in the world aside from being a mother. Absolutely. And it's not that you don't value and completely adore your kids and want to give them the best, but society is kind of telling you that it's your role to kind of just be about them now. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Because I think the the people who are, who are have been leading that information have come from a very different way of life and so we're waiting for these female leaders to stand up and give us voice but we're yet we're yet to see them. So it's 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 hard because we're really struggling. And don't get me wrong there's lots of really amazing female leaders out there but I think even when it comes to government and politics, you know, um, who's giving us voice? Yeah. You know, of course we're feeling suppressed because who speaks on behalf of mums and and says, you know, this is what this is what we need. You said something so interesting before I turn the mics on, which is what always happens. Sorry. Um, no, no, <laughs> no. We were just talking about how women need to be supported by the government and particularly mothers. What do you think would help us, like mm. for women in general? I was saying that I think that would be really, really powerful because. I've seen this off the back of makeup. No one's, no one teaches us. No one empowers. The only, I don't think the only sex conversation we had in school was they literally sat us down in grade four and put on a birth video. And there was no pre-conversation. There was no lead up. There was no empowerment around the female form or, or what it could do. And it was trauma. Like as soon as we're like, that's what you're going to see. And I was like, whoever designed that idea of that's how we should see birth for the first time at grade, in grade four, crazy. So I think... I think what would be really amazing if we had some sort of like women's um, studies school where we actually learnt all the things about being a woman and owning all of that and being really proud of what that represents and brings to our lives. And like, you know, like you said, hormones, we want to learn about hormones, about birth. Oh, about how to be like in the world and what to expect so that when you get your period, it's not a shock Absolutely. that your moods have changed. Or even I was speaking to um, Lucy Peach, who does a lot of stuff around period power. And she was saying that, and I find that too with my friends when I talk to them about their level of like hormones at the different times in the month, there's like a penny drops. And sometimes it's not till they're in their 30s when women learn that, well, maybe the reason you feel really great in week two is because you've got all this estrogen and you're like really fertile and that's the time when your hair's better and you feel more confident and you've got all this, you know, energy. And then maybe week three, you might feel more giving and loving and suddenly, and it's cyclical and, and why is it that it's not until later on that women are finding this? Imagine the power, like you were saying, for Adelaide, if she knew that from now. Absolutely. Where she's headed to, even menopause. And I can see that menopause hits women in this really shocking way where there's this, like, gap in that knowledge of womanhood. And you were talking about even makeup and teaching women how to 
do that kind of thing if you too. if you think about every single thing and every decision that you've made I mean I again like I said I haven't had a mum so I've never had anyone to lead me into what birth what to expect with birth what to do this everything that I've learned I've learned off the back of my own experience or my own research but wouldn't it be bloody amazing if someone if you're like if someone said to you right when you get your period here are the options in which you can use you can use tampons you can use a menstrual cup you can use period underwear pads whatever wouldn't that be great if that conversation starts from, and there's, there's not just that, but all of those components, you know, and I think even in the way that I've seen it with makeup, you know, women come to me so down on themselves and angry at themselves being like, I can't do my makeup. You know, I, I look gross when I do my makeup. I stuff it up. You know, I've got really ugly hooded eyes. Well, stop. Who's taught you how to do makeup? Who's told you? And my biggest thing in my education and what I do and how I lead my business is I want, my, I want women to see their own selves their own face, not looking at someone on a tutorial with a very different facial structure and trying to compare that to them. And I think that's the biggest thing I see in classes. Everyone's like, well, she looks good. I'm like, yeah, she's 20. She's got collagen running through her veins. She's got no hooded eyes. She's not sleep deprived at nighttime, you know, whatever. She, you know, we might be a girl with hormonal acne comparing herself to a girl, a lady with really great skin. And it's like, stop comparing start really understanding who you are, but then also no one's ever taught you any of that or how to do any topical application of makeup. No, no, no. And it might be your older sister or what you've absorbed from the stuff you bought at, from Revlon totally. at Priceline when you were 16 and your friends. And I think our generation now, the generation below us have got all these YouTube tutorials and all this wealth of knowledge that I think our generation didn't grow up with and it was all potluck if you had a mum who understood that stuff. (laughs) Totally. But if you didn't, you're left, yeah, sort of still doing your eyeliner the way that your 16-year-old friend taught you from high school in the bathrooms. Absolutely. And and stealing, you know, your friend's lip balm. I mean, none of us had a linear way of learning. Every one of us have had to wing it, literally, you know, and I... It's been really lovely to see through my educational platform. Um, I do a course, we're actually doing one tonight called Back to Basics. It's a masterclass where I get women to come in and we do a self-applying class where I first and foremost teach them about their face they're looking at in the mirror and then how we apply based around that. So it's the theory of makeup rather than saying, hi, here's how you do a wing. Well, no, I can do a wing a certain way because my eye, I've got a very open lid space and I've got no hood. So... I can't teach women one way of doing things because we are all exceptionally different. Mm. Um, And that's just in a technique point of view. The other part I say very much so is not only is the physicality of your face very unique, but so is your personality. Maybe you don't like doing wings at all. Maybe you just like doing a bit of blush, you know, like... So my education is not only about teaching you the structure of your face, but also about understanding about nurturing your authentic self and the way that you like to represent yourself through makeup. Mm. What has makeup meant to you? Makeup... I think I actually fell into makeup off the back of my own lack of self-confidence. You know, I was really overweight and I always got given this comment and I used to hate it. Um, oh, you've got a really pretty face, Hillary. And I was sort of like, okay, that's the biggest backhander. backhander yeah. Well, actually, what, what do the shameless girls say? It's a neg. You know, it's like... Yeah, it totally is from that horrible book that we used to, You know that book about the playbook or something and there was a guy who would go around kind of trying to pick up women. It was like a rules for picking up oh, women. Really? And one of them was the neg where it's like, oh, I think she's really hot but she's got an insecurity. So I'll tell her, give her a compliment that kind of has an insecurity oh, behind it. Wow. So then I can kind of more easily pick her up. 
It's like, and it was literally, and now when I think about it, it was massive when we were 20, in our 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a book about the patriarchy and how they break women down. That is absolutely atrocious. So where was the book available? Everywhere. It was sold in bookstores. It was It was wild. It went everywhere. All, like... I remember we would have been about 25. All of my boyfriend's mates were talking about it. It was big on the radio everywhere. It was like this guy who was seen as like the king of players had written this book for how to, yeah, it was like I remember a friend. Oh, he would get burned alive today. Oh, that was, oh, my gosh. It's so wild when you look back on it. Yeah, I remember. Clementine a, Ford would come for him yeah, and I would oh watch with like With horror. so much joy. <laughs> I know there's so much when you look back on that is just so problematic we, and I don't think we really understand the depths and we and I talk about this I was talking to you before about third eye and in my chakra work you know just how much layering and complexity we have in terms of the way that everything that we've been told and everything that we've been surrounded by has layered and put a every layer of grime on our personalities and on our true true selves and so it's really hard to find that because you're constantly having to go well that doesn't belong to me that idea and that doesn't belong to me so yeah, it's it's a really challenging world and oh, it is especially for women I think in so many ways because it's set up for blokes. And I know blokes also have their own difficulties obviously, but I think the messaging for us is so complicated. Absolutely. Because it's like you're supposed to look like you haven't tried to look beautiful, but you also have to look beautiful, you know? Absolutely. And that's why I think I'm really open on my social media. You know, I I'm very aware that I, you know, I'll be really honest From the moment I decided to become a makeup artist, I said to myself, I'm always going to represent the women that I work with and the the things that inspire me, not my personal approach to my business is I don't ever want to just put up models. I don't want to just put up the the perfect version of every single thing. I think it's really dangerous and I also think it's a really uh, narrow view and I think it's also... um, not realistic. Mm. And so for me, um, I chose a really long time ago to put up the women that I work with, you know, the everyday woman who's going to her husband's 50th or going to her friend's 21st or, you know, going to a graduation or whatever. I've, I've shown all facets of the beauty that I work with. Yesterday I got up covered in spew because my son had just spewed all over me <laughs> and I had my hair was, you know, scrunchy and I had no makeup on and I had had a tough night the, prior night, the previous night because he was up all night and I looked like balls and I was actually and I said that I'm like there is no part of me that feels good right now and that's okay because I mean I've had no sleep and I'm I smell like spew and I feel gross but that's there's light and shade to everything in life you know and today I put on some makeup and I said to my husband you can take the kids to daycare I'm gonna feel good and I feel worlds apart different and that was only two days difference you know yeah it's a what it's in one day isn't it because really our worth is not about what we look like it's, it is about the relationship we have with ourselves in the moment when we're in. And I loved what you said on your site about makeup being a way for you to feel good about yourself and then to stand out. Absolutely. Too. And that's complicated, isn't it? Because we know in, at deep down that our worth is about how smart and funny and kind and interesting and engaging we are. But there's a society layer out there that is saying, well, actually, as a woman, maybe your worth is more about how you look while you're doing it all. Absolutely. And how do we unpick that? But also looking 
And presenting yourself in a particular way is also about artistry and creativity and valuing yourself too. Exactly. I don't know where I sit. I actually just don't know where I sit with it. It's, and I find it really complicated. And, and, and it's, okay to feel, it's okay to feel that way. Yeah, do you, you feel know? complicated? Of do course. You find it complicated? Do you think, do you, yeah. you don't think that I ask myself every day, Hilary, you paint faces for a job. You, you paint faces for a job. You're telling women to put things on their face to feel good. That's a thing that challenges me every single day. But... I recognise it's my, like you said on the, sorry, on the website, it's my vehicle to enable myself to allow women to create space for themselves, to honour themselves. Makeup doesn't have to be a full glam if it doesn't feel good for you. It could just be the fact that you're creating a ritual of sitting down or standing or however you like to apply, having a moment to say, I really love my eyes and I'm going to frame them with some mascara to really show them off because I am gorgeous and I love the colour of my eyes, so they're my feature. Or you know what, my skin's dehydrated as all hell because I'm breastfeeding and I feel really hormonal and gross. I'm going to sit here with my roller, my gua sha roller and my moisturiser and I'm going to massage my face for 10 minutes and give myself a break just to feel good and to allow my skin to not look like it's dead. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It is amazing though how, because with all of the face stuff and with COVID and being mums at Mm. home and trying to balance everything, how much those rituals of putting skincare on and makeup actually does lift your mood and lift how you feel about yourself. And, and we should also be able to be proud of that fact that self-care is important, you know? Well, I put an analogy up the other day was, so someone, I got a, I put up a selfie um, of me doing my makeup and I'd obviously put up previous that day that I put up a couple stories about me in my mum up get up and I looked pretty rough and then someone DM'd me, a couple of people said some other things, um, but one person in particular DM'd me said, oh, my husband saw you, um, that video, and he, he was shocked. He said, it doesn't even look like the same person. And I got really angry because I was like, stop comparing. It doesn't matter. I, I don't want you to, you don't need to judge me at all. Just, just see the happiness that I have in how I feel about myself and take that as enough for you to know that I'm happy so you can be happy. It doesn't have to be that because I have done this to myself that it should impact the way that you feel about you. I mm. do this and, I, you know, in this particular video that I did, I put on some body foundation and so I, have, I don't fake tan. I haven't got time or cannot be bothered with the extra effort. Oh, it's cold. I also get cold when do I do you? it and I don't like it. <laughs> I'm all, I, I have fake tan and, yeah, I just don't do it very often for that reason. I'm really I'm, – I'm genuinely <laughs> thinking – time for. Well, I'm thinking I'm going to get a tan to get my husband to do it because he's very – and I feel like it's really up his alley to do it. So I'm going to, I have no, I'm, when I fake tan, oh my God, I feel so much better about myself. I just feel so much healthier because I'm so vitamin D deficient. Yeah. <laughs> and I have not seen the sun in I don't know how long. But yeah. anyway, I think for me, makeup is always, it, it can be a full glam and a full coverage foundation. It could be um, no foundation at all. It could be moisturiser. It's not up to anyone else to decide how you feel good in yourself. It's, I think... We should be really proud of that person for giving themselves the space to feel good in themselves and to, you know, um, love themselves, you know. Like, I can't believe that our society, everyone is so quick to judge. It's a sort of like if their intent is good and they're a good human and they're kind and they're trying to do their best, then let's all just lay off, focus on our own shit and then it's all good. Because really in the end it is also about their shit. As well, it's always about this because if someone's in that judgmental headspace of judging people for whatever choice they make about themselves, it's just another form of numbing, I guess, isn't it? Because it's not having to focus on deflection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell me about what that means? Well, I think. I mean, 
Oh, what's that? What came up recently? Oh, so Chrissy Teigen. Have you seen that? What's happened with her? So she put up, and good on her, she put up a story that apologised for all of the things that she had said when she was in her young self. And that really resonated with me. You know, when I was young, I was, I, I had such a traumatic childhood and I was a really massive ball of bad mental health when I was in my teens and my 20s. And I deflected in, in, in whatever ways I could. I, I used to get really drunk. I used to over, I overate all the time, still do a little bit. I judged people for their happiness, you know, and, their, and when they had a good family, I was really angry and jealous or, you know, when people were in a good relationship or when people were doing really well, I became intimidated by women who were like, trying to do the best, you know, whatever. What so I had, I was yeah. deflecting. I was constantly deflecting and I was, I was seeking confirmation that I was enough by putting other things down. And I think that's a really common thing that people do. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, like I said to you earlier, you know, when someone's shining, it's a trigger for people who aren't. You know, when people are really presenting a really amazing version of themselves that they've worked really hard to get to that point of. It's amazing what it does to people who aren't in that positive headspace. It can really it can really show up a lot of shit. And deflection is common with everyone. Every day I could give you examples of things that I do to deflect. And um, I think the most important thing we have to do is recognise when we are doing it, but also dealing with the shit in the first place that's causing it to happen. Um, so... Um, I've worked really heavily and hard on my mental health and, and how I've done it. So the person that I was when I was 20 is nowhere near who I am now. What um, have you done? Oh, my gosh. Well, I was seeing psychologists from a really young age and I used to see them for eating my eating disorder, which was overeating. It's an un, it's an unravelling, I think, you know, like I said to you, there's a lot of layers to what's happened and what I've gone through and, and the hardening of my heart, I guess, and we talk about it in kinesiology you know, when you go through a lot of stuff, you harden as a person. Mm. You know, the people who have really gone through a lot, you know, like you can see some of the really rough people who who have really had a tough life, you know, and tough, like really tough life, more than we could ever imagine. There, there's a hardness to them. There's, a, there's a, an aggression to them. That's because they, they just can't get past that, you know. The most powerful thing we can do as humans is show vulnerability and um, compassion and love and in moments of 
feeling really angry and, and deflecting and, and whatever is to turn it on its head and, and be vulnerable and, and acknowledge just how sad you are. That's been my undoing, you know. So the hardness that I had probably, like, and the anger that I had towards the life that I'd been given um, and raised in, I've changed through psychologists. Um, I, I had a moment six years ago of complete profound transformation. I discovered um, kinesiology. I worked on in chakras and intuitive uh, mentoring. Um, so I worked with a few people that really allowed me to see all facets of it. Psychology is really hard, right? Like you go to psychologists and there's a real science behind it. Mm. So they'll give you information. They're like, okay. So, you know, we all... It's, it's yeah, tough. this is what trauma is and these are the yeah. trauma responses and then this is PTSD and how you... Yeah, it's very scientific-based, whereas yeah. are you saying sort of kinesiology is more spiritual practice well, in a way? Or? So so how it started for me was I started in intuitive mentor. So I've done psychology. I always found like I over-intellectualised and I found I got to a point where I kind of felt like I was smarter than the psychologist, which... That's not me being egoey. It's just more like I, I couldn't get what I was getting out of the session. That sessions. is how I've always felt whenever I've gone to see a psychologist. In the end, I'm like, I would, I could have said that, that better. Totally, it's annoying, and you're so annoying. You're not picking up on the fact that I'm deflecting all your questions or whatever. Yes, I can't handle you anymore. <laughs> oh, Don't give me the bloody book about <laughs> opening my heart. I could give myself that. I googled it already. <laughs> if one more psychologist <laughs> tells me about my window of tolerance and my state of arousal, I'm going to shove that state of arousal up somewhere they don't want it. Like, yeah, it's so it's frustrating. So, so yeah. I found that. I was like, okay, cool. I'm recognising it. Yes, this is who I am, blah, blah, blah. And I think also they find that when they start picking me apart in terms of things about my personality, like whatever, my instant, because I was highly criticised when I was younger, it's, it triggers me and I get so defensive. And if they can't see that, then it, for me it's like you're, just, you're not on my wavelength, it's fine. So I found that I discovered intuitive mentoring and working in the chakras, which – Again, that was I was a country girl when I discovered this and it was all very woo-woo to me, but I trusted my intuition that it was meant for me to be in this path, so I just continued with it. I was at a, a party in the bush box up near Bell Reynolds and a farmer came up to me who's very spiritual and he said to me, I think you need to go see someone who works in spirituality and chakras. And I said, yeah, righto, give me your name. And he gave me the name and it, um, I went and saw that person and it was like instant love. Um, her name's Kat John. She works in Melbourne. She's an intuitive mentor but works um, – she's a very no bullshit, like says fuck every single second word, owns <laughs> all of it, but she really calls you on your shit. And what I loved about working with her was I was finally able to link behaviours and patterns and, um, you know, traumas to what was happening in my life and it, it allowed me to kind of go, oh, and I had lots of aha moments with her. So that was really great but it brought up a lot of stuff and we went through every chakra once a month. I did two courses with her, one for personal and one for business, and I found that there was a lot of energy that came from that, and I, I found myself, like, lying in bed for a week, just completely stripped. But then um, I discovered Elena Pilch, who's a kinesiologist out in the um, uh, Kyneton, who kinesiology, if you don't know, is it's kind of like spiritual but not. It's, it's, she works on your energy of your body. So it, she works in your meridians, and it's all really... It's, when I did a session with her, it was really strange. And every kinesiologist works very differently. I've seen a few over my time. And So is it that you break down your body, the meridian, like the middle line, and then different parts of your body have yes. different energies? Is exactly. That? Okay. It's all in your body, the energy of your body and, and acupressure points. And there's lots of different things. She uses a lot of essences, whether it's like flower essences or like an essential oil or whatever. And she also taps in, Elena's how she works, also taps in with my, um, my guides and my angels and... 
the work that I've done with Elena has been profound. And so what I found, like, Kat, like, stirred up all the shit and, and, and Elena came through and cleared it all away. So that combination for me, plus exercise, like, I'd lost, I had my weight loss surgery just prior to having all of this going on. And um, I got back finally into the exercise that I was capable of doing. I think I got so big at one point that I physically couldn't do the exercises that my PT was giving me because I was so big. So getting skinnier, I became a gun. So I think the combination, I've always been very strong on we have to approach our health very holistically. It has to be physical. It has to be mental, spiritual. You know, it, it can't just be from one angle. I personally believe that, you know, when we tap into all the facets, we become a really great human from that. But, yeah, that, that has been my journey with my health and um, it's been really powerful. But I guess since having kids, it's... Resets it all again. It totally. I'm like, God <laughs> damn, I just did all this work and I was like an amazing supreme being and I was like <laughs> completely enlightened and amazing and then I gave birth and then... It's like start rebuilding your whole oh. self from the very bottom it, up. Absolutely. I just you know wrote a post, I mean? yeah, that post I put up yesterday. Mm. I just said I had to completely become a new human. I had to build a new human. I, when I gave birth to Adelaide, every part of who I was was amazing and I loved it. And then I gave birth and I was like, fuck, I can't be me anymore. In order for me to be me, I can't be me anymore. Like I have to start all again. And it's been a really I've, – um, I've challenged that from, for the past three years and I almost think that that moment I had with Adelaide a couple of nights ago – I had this full overwhelming moment. I have 360. I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get I get the power of being a mum, but, oh, my God, it's hard. And then, It takes a lot out of you, I think. What were your births like? Oh, I love – I'm one of those people that I had really great births, but I was adamant that I was going to have a good birth. So for me, I came from the belief that our bodies are meant to do this, so I was going to allow my body to, to do it. And I wasn't going to stand in the way with it with my mental, my mental health. So I was like, right, let's do it. So I'm one of those people that I'm like, okay, same way that I approached my, when I was at my fully best self, um, I approached the same. How can I physically do it? How can I mentally do it? How can I spiritually do it? All of the above. So I was doing yin yoga a lot to open up my hips. Um, I was seeing a Lena kinesiologist to ensure that I was really settled in my energy um, I saw Rosie from Geelongborn, who is an amazing birth support, and we did um, hypnobirthing. So my birth with Adelaide, I went over a bit. I was had to be in, uh, induced, so I got all that done. Um, but I ended up birthing her in three hours and pushed for five minutes. Wow. And I was like, um, I always laugh. Rosie always said in the classes, you've got to be a cat. You know, when a cat gives birth, she goes into a dark corner into a dark room and under a bench and she just does her thing or she goes under the house into a dark spot. And it's so true. Like I turned all the lights off in the room. I told all the midwives, don't, don't annoy me, allow me to, you know. And um, I'd had some really tough pain problems prior due to my weight loss surgery. So I was put into 10 out of 10 pain. And that was a really good teacher for me. So, I, so I, when I got put into a really extreme amount of pain, I knew that you can go two directions with pain. You can either go really high and scream. And, and I almost think that kind of exacerbates the pain. Mm. Or you can go really deep and really low with it, which I know sounds weird, but you, no, you get it when you, when you give birth, you get that yeah, high or low. totally. And so I knew with my pain, I could go high or low and I knew that I wanted to go low. So um, for me, I did hypnobirthing. Um, ben was an incredible birth support. We did made, we made sure that he, he wanted to be fully empowered in that moment. I wanted him to be as well because he was birthing with me. I know that I was doing the physical work, but he had to hold me emotionally and that was really important. 
So I did all the things and I got on all fours. I got onto a ball and I put music on, got my meditation going. I really got really low with my energy and I went deep. And it was such a – I was in a hypnotic state. I can't tell you how crazy it was. I don't remember feeling pain at all. Um, and all of a sudden, after three hours, I started involuntarily pushing. And the, it was kind of funny because it ended up happening so fast that um, no one caught, caught Adelaide. She fell on the floor. Oh, my God. But thank God there was towels underneath yeah. me and I was on my knees. But she just – Ben was behind me and the, the midwives were just trying to monitor Adelaide's heart rate because she was so chill. She yeah. anyway, so it was so funny. And Ben turned to them and said, "Oh, um, the head's out." And then he looked up to go tell them, "Oh, the head's out." And by the time he looked back down, Adelaide was on the floor, which was really funny. Wow! And I was in such a deep hypnotic state. I think the thing that I was most sad about was that I wasn't in tune with where she was. I was so in tune with me. Yeah. So my goal for Obi was to be way more in touch with him and the feeling of him in me, and that was exactly what happened. Um, he was a posterior baby. Oh, my God. That is painful. And both the births were pain drug-free. I just felt like I kind of stupidly went in because the nurses said to me with um, Adelaide, oh, you'll birth really quick next time. If you were three hours on your first, you're going to throw it. You need to get to the hospital straight away. And that was almost bad that they said that because in my head I was like, I'm just going to have the best, easiest birth again. And and no two births are the same. Had I known that when I walked into Obi's birth, I would have just felt a a little less cocky, I think. (laughs) I was a bit cocky. Anyway, straight away I knew it was a different birth because the pain was really bad. I really struggled and I, like, I still worked with my hypnobirthing and I, because we did a refresher course um, with her and with Rosie. And this time around I couldn't birth on my knees because he was posterior. There was no position that I felt comfortable in. So I had torn quite badly with Adelaide because she was so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no one there guiding her out and said, stop pushing. Yeah. This time the, the obstetrician was like, we're going to slow you down a little bit. Anyway, so I was doing the old thing and then um, I was – I sounded like a shaman. I was like still trying to go low with my energy. But I was like, huh? Like I was – I can't imagine what I – it was would have been crazy. But I couldn't, I couldn't labour in any position but standing straight. So I had to lean on Ben for five hours and by the end of it I was – my legs were cactus. I was so tired. Anyway – um, it was really funny towards the end of Obi's birth because the obstetrician was very adamant that he wanted me on the bed and I just, I tried doing it and I just couldn't get into a comfortable position. Anyway, so I was standing and he said, oh, I think it's time for, I think it's, we're getting close. I think it's time for you to go back to the bed. And, and as I was walking back to the bed, I kind of was like, ah, oh. this time around it wasn't a physical telling me that I needed to push. It was more of an intuitive one. So I was kind of like, mm, just going to give myself a bit of a push and see what happens and out popped the head. Oh. <gasps> like really quickly wow. and I was just standing and, and then he's like, stop pushing, stop pushing, stop pushing. And I'm like, what, what? And, and he's like, I said, I'm stop pushing. And he's like, oh, sure as hell looks like pushing to me. Yeah. And, um, and then in that moment, Obi rotated when he was inside, his head was out and his body rotated and that, it was the weirdest feeling. Oh, that would have been crazy. And in doing that, what he did was prevented me from tearing. So that was really great. Wow. So good job on the second one. I didn't I didn't have any damage then, but I, I gave myself a lot of damage uh, in the weeks coming, um, well, the weeks following. I went back to work too quickly and um, I... How soon? Well, um, 10 days. <gasps> wow. I just couldn't do anything. I, there was nothing else I could do. COVID had destroyed my business. It was absolutely crazy. How old is Obi now? Seven months. Seven months. And this was, so this was like 10 days after, which was what, when we were in lockdown? Yes, we just we just got in between, in between. and so yeah. I'd been stripped of my business. I'd went from like fifteen staff down to two or three, and 
work was non-existent. I'd closed my Geelong salon. Um, I had a bad landlord down there who wasn't supportive of the COVID situation. So I narrowed it all down. I had also the world's worst pregnancies. My pregnancies are really shocking. So OBO is, I had really severe hyperemesis. And, um, Which was, is? What's hyperemesis? Um, severe vomiting. Oh, all day, all God. night. Oh, like what Princess Kate had. Yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah, hospitalised a number of times. Like I'd go in there for my, I'd call it my, like my tune-up. I'd go in there and get a couple of bags of fluids and, and leave that day. Um, it's like Amy Schumer had that too, actually. There's an incredible doco where she shows it. It's just not documented. No, it, no. And I was trying to be really, really rude. If you go onto my, I don't know if I actually said to my stories, but I was talking about the fact that, you know, constipation is a real problem. When you have hyperemesis, they give you lots of drugs to stop the vomiting, but then you don't poo for like three weeks. And then that causes problems. And obviously pooing in pregnancy anyways, is a problem. And that's not really talked about. So I got up on my socials and was saying, here's my poo plan. So these are my drugs that I take and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to normalise that conversation because no one told me that you don't shit. Like, there is so much that we don't get told because no. there is – it's like, oh, don't tell her, she'll be worried. Or there's just no one – it's like potluck. Who you get – who like who tells you yeah. that you should go and get your chakras aligned or <laughs> yeah, get, do hypnobirthing. Yeah. Like, like there's just <laughs> – I did the course yeah. at the hospital which was so not helpful in so many ways. Well, it's very clinical, you know. Yeah, it's super clinical and it – you know, we just, we need that course for women. I know. You know? Couldn't agree more. Maybe, maybe something needs to happen. But yes, I think even if someone says, hey, you might not have any issues with pooing. However, if you do have the issue, here's the physical manoeuvres that you can do to get it out. But also here's the stuff that I would take during your pregnancy to help. This is the things that would help. Just as an FYI, would be really great to see that information. Mm. Because had I known that, it, it, it took for me to navigate that whole situation and a lot of traumatic situations for me to figure it out. So... Um, I did a lot of, you know, I went and got physio and all the things. Anyway, so, yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, we have to work quickly after birth and I think I really understand now why a lot of those eastern countries are amazing because they really honour their women after they give birth by telling them to rest and be still for all the month afterwards. I didn't really recognise that until um, Obi's birth and I did a lot of damage um, after the birth by standing too quickly and putting too much pressure on myself oh, to return to work. So sorry. It was fine. It's, it's okay now, but it, it involved a lot of shoving back up. <laughs> oh, like a pro, so like prolapsing. Well, I prolapse. Yeah, I got a really, really bad hemorrhoid, like really bad. Oh, thank mate. God that's gone away. Um, but I, um, I prolapsed a bit with Adelaide before I'm pushing really quickly with her, and then it just came out a little bit more with Obi because I was pushing so because I pushed really hard, and I yeah. think that's probably obviously as well from the poo situation. Anyway. It's the whole thing. We could go down a hole. But, but I think like another of my friends has given birth recently and she's had all these complications I'd never heard of. Mm. And I feel like so often women in my life come again up a cropper because the friend of theirs that they've been asking for advice or talking to with has never had the same problem as them. Mm. It's like my son had a lot of reflux issues yeah. and no one had any solutions for me because no one else in my life had those issues. So then you become this crazy woman just Googling things at night, 3 a.m. being like we're well, on these forums trying to find information. And you're hormonal because you're upset and you're feeling really yeah. isolated and alone and it further triggers your postnatal. It's yeah. really tough. Exactly. We're having huge issues with Obi at the moment who's been power spewing for the, since four months old. We've And only through my insistence has he gone and got tests. We can't find any answers yet, but it's still happening. You know, he's on reflex medication and he's, we've changed his formula and we've done all of the basic things, but... Like the kid power spews all day, every day, but there's no one there going. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to advocate or here's, a, here's 10 scenarios from a spewer that we can tell you that these 10 scenarios, there's probably most definitely 90% of chance that he's one of these scenarios. So go through and tick off what it won't be. Mm. Okay, cool. We know it's not We know it's not reflux. We know it's not dairy because he's now on rice. Mm. Yeah. Oh my, I have so much. I'll tell you off pod. So much information because we had the exact same thing. Okay, I don't need all the information because oh no, my one, God. no one else is telling me. Like, it's crazy. No it's one's great. And they don't have the, they didn't have the answers for us. It <sighs> took us, I reckon it took us six, maybe a year to actually get proper answers. And we're, and yeah, it, and it's been different for different friends of mine too. So it is so hard. And I think that's part of the problem and also maybe part of the solution that we need as women to be our own heroes. Absolutely. We, we need to advocate. We need to advocate yeah. so that our daughters can come into the world in 30 years' time and they're not wondering where the information is because it's just it's there, there for them. But we need, this is where I'm being really sort of um, loud in and obviously I can't, it's, it's annoying because I can't be that person to a large degree. We need more louder leaders. We need people who can represent us in areas that will make create change. And at the moment, there is no change being created. We've got a lot of noise going on at the moment, but where is that funneling? Where is this information funneling to and where is it getting to? Like, it's, I know, it's a hitting a seal, like a glass ceiling. Absolutely. It's genuinely hitting deaf ears because they don't have the Because ability. they are deaf because they're old men. Yeah, without any life <laughs> experience or, or ability, like they're parenting <sighs> through FaceTime. Like, remember, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison, it still drives me insane, was being interviewed about how he manages because he's got young kids and he's like, oh, well, I FaceTime them all the time. Like, that's not parenting. That's not parenting. So how can you be possibly able to understand what women and children need on a nationwide level if you are not Because he's not a modern dad, you know. Like, my husband is an incredible guy. He's a very modern co-parenting father who would advocate for all of these changes because they directly impact him as well. But why would Scott Morrison advocate for something that doesn't impact him because he's not a parent? Exactly. It's the same with childcare, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. don't don't get me started on childcare. I had to go live with that because we've hit our threshold. We're paying $750 a week in childcare. So this is the other thing that I was talking about with being a mum. Yeah. No one talks about this either. I'm a currently – I've just come off JobKeeper. I don't have any income streams because the government shut me down. I'm not legally allowed to work in Melbourne at the moment got no streams of avenue. I can't give up my children's places in daycare because I'll lose them and I won't be able to get in again. They're only in, Obi's in three days a week and Adelaide's in four days a week and we're paying $750 a week in childcare because we've hit the threshold because there's there's no support for women to return back to work. Mm. And I know from my work in doing women's makeup and the conversations I have on social media with people, so many women returning to work are either working for free losing money a week or working for $10 a day because all their income is going towards paying for childcare. So the only reason why they're returning to work and working for free essentially is to maintain their careers. My God, which is insane. Which is insane. That's insane. So, And the biggest thing that I think that needs to come from any of these conversations is that where is the advocacy for women to return to work? We need women to return to work. Women are holding up the economy in the way that we are, you know, the biggest spenders. We make the decisions in the house with where the money goes, you know, like. And who were the workers who were essential? So often it was the teachers who are predominantly women, the nursing staff who are predominantly women as well, you know, even the cleaners, people who are cleaning houses and cleaning facilities to make sure that we're safe, you know, like the workers who are working in aged care homes. Predominantly women. Exactly. You know, where the essential services, childcare workers, essential services, oh. and we get paid 
Don't get me wages. don't get me started. I feel so well. sorry for childcare workers. I know. They are doing an incredible job. They are working so hard, and not in even in the childcare that we send, like the ones I send our children to, genuinely have feelings and and love for our children. And they are being paid an absolute pittance and not being supported. And what happens when we don't support these people in these key environments? What happens? You mm. tell me, Scott Morrison, who's looking after your children? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But he's got – the problem is the politicians making the decisions have very privileged prescribed, life. privileged yeah. and also very traditional roles where the Absolutely. only way that you can really be a male politician is if and married with kids is if your wife doesn't work and is looking after the household there's really no other way to do it because six months of the year in Australia, they have to be in Parliament House. Yeah. And so you really need a partner who's going to do all of the other life admin stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, I and think... Absolutely isn't. No, everyone's roles are different. Absolutely. You know, that's not what this no, no, is about. No, not yeah. at all. But it's, and it's interesting where we see someone like Jacinta Ardern, who, whose partner has to be that supporter, yeah. has to be that co-parent. But however because she's in that forefront with that co-parenting in a modern relationship, she's able to present way more newer, like things that really impact us on a day-to-day level. Mm. We've got to protect this generation. We've got to protect our generation because we're going to be the ones making the key decisions in the next 10, 15, yeah, 20 years. Absolutely. And right now you're not going to have many people out there who are doing them because no. we've all just given up. And I, and I think also it's really important for kids to see equal partners yeah. in however that looks and so that you're both – happy and, well, maybe even happy is the, is the wrong word, but contented and feel valued within your family structure and, and are a person that isn't selfless in that you've vanished and lost yourself. So, but you're being, so you're being mothered, like our kids aren't being mothered by someone who's vacant Absolutely. and has low self-esteem. Like there's nothing more amazing than when, I mean, I'm so proud of my husband who couldn't be my big, he's the biggest supporter and I'm so excited, our children, to be able to see that they've got a really strong-ass mum who's going out there and having a crack in this world but also the beautiful delicateness of my husband and the way that he loves and supports and nourishes that. Mm. It's beautiful. It's not about one being, you know, dominant or one being bigger or better. It's equality and I, I say yin and yang with my husband all the time. We're perfect in we're, we're very different, but we work perfectly together. And how does that? Does he enable you then to run your business in that way? Having him there as your support. The the, the kid is just ridiculous. Like <laughs> he, I always say to him, you need to run a you need to run a husband's school because he <laughs> I, you've never met anyone. Everyone calls him gentle Ben. He um he's the breadwinner in the relationship still. With um where I was going with the business and growing it, I was still in growth phase and I wasn't really taking much of an income as any small business owner would understand. So he still is the breadwinner given that COVID stripped me bare and we'll get there. Um, but at the moment, he's the main breadwinner. But however, he's the one lucky at the moment he's working from home with COVID. But he, not only does he do, like he did drop off today, he he woke up in the middle of the night to do the feeds because I said to him, like, he said, oh, you're masterclass tomorrow night, Hillary, I'll do the night, overnight feed if Obi wakes up or cries, does that. He cooks and cleans, you know, tonight I won't be home, he'll do all of that. But more importantly, aside from all the day-to-day operations in our family, he's my biggest supporter. He wants to see the best in me and I think we all have our own personalities and he's really content in the way that he lives his life and I support that. You know, he's not much of a go-out-and-partier or much of a socialiser and I, I nurture that as much as I can. It's really hard for me to be with someone that's really quiet but actually it works perfectly because he really... I always say that I love a man that can hold a woman like... Yeah. And isn't threatened by that. That is like, and I'm so lucky. My husband is exactly the same. And there's a line in Annabelle Crabbe's book about that. 
that she did a quarterly essay about women choosing who they marry yeah. and the, and it really directly affects where they'll be in their life and how they'll be able to be successful in their career, yeah, who really they marry, great. which is, sounds so traditional, but no. I really believe that. And I, I think it works both ways as well in terms of a man as well and needing things from a relationship. You want it to be equal. But, yeah, James is like exactly the biggest supporter, anything I want to try. He's like, you go for it. It's really awesome and not threatened by no, me wanting to have my own life. There's something yeah. very sexy about a man. Isn't that, it? Oh my god, Ben is yeah. Ben could look like a, a I don't know, bloody half-chewed hot dog and <laughs> I couldn't find a man more sexier. He's that's a man to me. Someone who can cry, someone who can say, you know, his communication skills amazing. We had a bit of a fight at dinner last night, nothing massive, but it was a sort of like and he said, "No, let's talk about it, Hillary. Like what's going on?" And fuck that's sexy. Mm. Someone who's not intimidated, that can own his vulnerability, that can show his, his you know, nurturing side. And loves side. his kids and, and is present, not just in a, I'm a fun dad, I'm going to throw a ball around, but, you know, what do they need? Absolutely. And I'm there and I know how much milk goes in the bottle and oh. how much water ratio if you're Beyond. formula feeding or, you know, that kind of Oh, he of said to me, stuff. like Hillary, oh, Obi's got thrush at the moment, which we've never had, and he's like, oh, just letting you know, we've, got, we've run out of the hyper result, can you just get some of that? And he's across all of it, you know, and, and the other day he's like, oh, I just did a bonds order for OB because he's getting out of his, you know, three to six months and he's moving into his, you know, bigger size. So I went and got, I went and got some bonds for him. I'm like, okay. Oh my God. Like he's. This makes so much difference. And it's, it's, it shows me. And what I'm really excited about is having had OB, I'm really excited about the man that I get to create with Ben because it, there needs to be more men, more Bens in the world, I think. There needs to be more men who are willing to own their vulnerability. And, yeah. and not even in traditional roles. You know, I've got a lot of friends that are in same-sex relationships and um, it's all about balance. It doesn't matter who's more dominant, who's not, or maybe they're same or, or whatever. Like it has to be in how does a family function healthily mm. and it's when the the person is most supported in their authentic self. And do you think that the way that you've worked on that relationship with Ben is down to communication? Oh, huge, huge component of it. Because it's not sure. just an accident that you've got that relationship now, do you think? We just had our um, seventh anniversary and our, we've been together for 14 years and we had a really dysfunctional relationship to start with. I brought, we met when I was 23 and I brought all of my trauma into our relationship and I was a really shit girlfriend for a really long time. A part of his qualities is very loyal and he's very... He, he's very unwavering. He he just he's committed. When he comes in, he's like, "I'm going to make this work." And it's without without that, we wouldn't have survived. Um, and I think what got us through was I I knew that he needed something better. He ne- he needed me to step up in order to. I needed to be the partner that he deserved. He allowed me the space to work on my stuff. So he allowed me to be selfish to really go deep in myself. And he still does. You know, he's like, "Hello, go have the night off and go say go go away for a night so you can have some time to yourself." Or because we work very differently. He derives his energy from within and I drive my energy from without, you know, outside. I'm, yeah, being with people and, yeah, yeah extrovert. Ex- yeah, I, it's so interesting that my partner is exactly the same. Yeah. I get energy from being around people, which is what, why COVID is so difficult. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's loving COVID. Is his, he's so happy. He's like, <laughs> I just want to hang out with you all. I'm like... Fuck off. Yes. I need to talk to someone about stuff. I need to talk to someone. Yes. Yeah, and part of it is like being in clothes and putting makeup on because yeah. that's you. Totally. And being, Expression. Yeah, being out there and being in yeah. the world is what gives you identity yeah. or me identity. Absolutely, too. yeah. Yes. Probably it's been hard for a lot of girls, I think, or just the, the people who need to get out and do that because, mm. you know, and we also need that's, – that's where we're lacking that energy because there's no bouncing of that energy around because everyone's, yes. everyone's at the moment, everyone's introverted. Yes, really. 
Exactly. And if you're not, you're kind of being forced to become introverted. And then if you're not someone who gets energy from that, the energy kind of spirals down and down and down and down. And down. <laughs> so you're like, the floor. Yeah. Oh, God. It's We're on the other end of the earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. Exactly. Yeah. Now, we've been talking for ages. And I just so value your time and your wisdom because you have so much to share. And I've just loved it so much. Thank you. An absolute um, pleasure. Yeah, I wanted to finish just by asking you where to next. Hillary. Oh, that's a very good question, actually. So I'm on the precipice of finally reaching what my um, end game has been for my career um, in terms of where I really wanted to be. Um, when I started becoming a makeup artist, I was in science and I realised that I need to fashion follow my passion piece, which was makeup. Um, I was really concerned about it not being a career and I didn't want to be a six-year-old makeup artist doing dead makeup. And I said to myself, I'll get into makeup if there's a career in it, a long-term business career. And so I've always wanted to have my own makeup line. Um, I realised after a few years of being a makeup artist, um, there's a very big hole in the way that we are not listening to women and we're not educating women about how they want to feel in themselves and the way they want to represent themselves through their own beauty routine. And for me, I am all about performance makeup. So I'm all about makeup lasting because who can be bothered reapplying? I want it to look good, feel good, you know, um, be luxurious, the best quality, full of all the good stuff. And I also want it to perform and be amazing, but I want it to also stand for something. So I said to myself, I really want to do a makeup line. And it's launching at the end of this year, which <gasps> is really exciting. Wow. It's taken me 18 months to develop the first product. I'm going to take it slow, one product at a time. But I'm so beyond excited because this is going to be transformative in the beauty world in the way that I think it's finally a product that speaks for women rather than dictating to women what they should be doing and wearing and how they should wear it, I want women to, to use their voice to say what they want and I want products out there from, from the brand to support that. So, um, yeah, we're in the final stages of development with the first product and can't wait. Oh, I'm so excited to try it. What, as someone who is a very much a beauty novice, yeah. what are the things that, like the big mistakes that people make and maybe what they could do to fix them? Uh, I'm really, I think off the back of what we've talked about, the fact that you've never been taught anything, I don't think there's a mistake that you've made because it's a mistake if you knew the right way to begin with. I think that you've just been doing what works for you and you know what, good on you. I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that you've gotten through life having no idea what you're doing and still feeling good in yourself when you do give yourself the time. So I think the mistake is probably in that um, women aren't allowing themselves the time to learn they're not allowing them the time to feel good and they're, they're giving themselves excuses as to why they can't. Because there's something wrong with them or they're just something wrong. Enough, I'm or... too tired. I don't have time. Actually, if you give yourself the time to learn yourself, learn your makeup, learn what makes you feel good, you know, what works for you, then you'll shine. And when you are in that centred space of really owning all of who you are and backing yourself entirely with or without makeup, that is pure beauty that is beautiful that is stunning a woman in that zone is the most stunning human ever and it's nothing to do with what she physically looks like it's the radiance like that really comes out you know what I mean when you see that woman who really owns all of herself in that confidence there is something that's just incredible so that's um I don't think there's ever a mistake that a woman can make with her beauty routine um I think the biggest thing she needs to give is herself the opportunity no excuses you know own it give yourself time Give yourself room in your life to build that relationship with you. Yeah. My hashtag is back your beauty and it's 
very, very true. You've got to back yourself. You know, in everything that I've done, in all of the crap that I've gone through, in all of the lessons and the hardships, the only reason I survived is because I decided that I needed to get out of it. I needed to back myself, that no one else was going to be doing that for me. And it translates in everything that I do. And I think that if women back themselves in all that they are, like that's power. That's the limit. Yeah. And what a gift to be able to give that to your kids. Well, I can't wait. I know. I know. They're really cute. I'm, I'm really excited to be to be the mum and the parent that um, every child deserves to have. So, Oh, they're very lucky kids, mm, as wait. is Ben. As are we. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hilary. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I know. To see what's coming next. Thanks cool. for having me. You're welcome. You've been listening to a podcast with me, Claire Tonti, and this week with makeup artist Hilary Holmes. You can find more from Hilary on Instagram at Hilary Holmes Makeup. Thank you, as always, to Raw Collings for editing this week's episode. And if you'd like to follow along, I have a weekly-ish newsletter that comes out most Fridays, which you can subscribe to in my bio or in the show notes. And I'd love you to leave a review and a rating, just like HL Mum has. Funny and smart. I'm loving the pod taunts. I find myself saying yes out loud all the time. Thanks for your great work. Thanks, mate. And if you'd like your review read out on the show, just pop one in for us. That would be so lovely. And if you think someone you know might appreciate this episode, please share it with them. That's the best way to get this show out there. And it really makes a massive difference to me. Okay, that's it from me this week. Sending you lots of love and uh, talk to you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.